right, we're continuing on in Mark this morning, Mark chapter 10, right where we uh, left off last week, Mark chapter 10. Just going to look at a few verses this morning. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Give everybody a second to find that. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father God, we come to you this morning, and we thank you for these words. And I pray that they would be a blessing to us, God. I pray that we would learn from what we are talking about today. I pray that you would block out any distractions and worries or fears, dear Lord, that we may have of the world, God. These are things that that we all deal with from time to time, and boy, the devil attacks us with them. And sometimes I feel like he attacks us harder when we're trying to listen to your word. So keep us safe, dear Lord, from his attacks this morning, that we would not let our minds wander, that we would not let our, our worries get the best of us during this time, dear Lord, during your time. And I pray that you would just help me to preach and teach in a way that's going to bring glory to you. I pray that you hide me behind the cross. I pray that you would open my mouth to speak the words you want each of us to hear this morning, dear Lord. And I pray that you would keep me humble and, and take away any, any nerves or fears that I have, God. And I pray that you would just do the work this morning through your word. Let your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts and touch our hearts and work in our lives. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, a few weeks back, we, we looked at some verses where Jesus was uh, referring to a child or to children. And in those <clears throat> verses we looked at a few weeks ago, Jesus was making an illustration. The uh, uh, twelve, his apostles, were arguing amongst themselves about who was the greatest. And Jesus uh, called a child over and said, Look, uh, you need to be more like this child. And, he, and, and in Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 18, verses 3 and 4, uh, Matthew gives us a little more detail. And Jesus says that, look, we are to have, uh, be humble like a child. We are to have the humility as a child. Now, uh, I said then that in that verse, I don't know that Jesus' main teaching point there was necessarily about children so much as it was about him making an illustration. That, that he used someone who may not be looked upon as very important, uh, especially uh, in that society and even now so today in our society. Uh, children aren't always uh, looked at as important. They're not always valued. We see that with the climbing number of abortions that we see in our world today. People do not value children and value human life. That's not to say that all people don't value children. Praise the Lord, there are many who do. Uh, but sometimes children may be looked upon as, oh, those are just kids. Get out of here. Get out of the way. You're in the way. Uh, kids are a nuisance to some people. And perhaps that's why Jesus called the child in that instance. He says, look, if you want to be greatest in my kingdom, you've got to be the least. You've got to be like this child. You've got to have the humility of a child. And I believe that that's uh, what Jesus was doing there, was making that, 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 that illustration for them that they could see by bringing a child into the picture. Now, that's not to say that Jesus doesn't love children. That's what I said a few weeks ago, and I believe he does. And today we look at a verse which I think clearly shows how much Jesus loves children. And he also uses children here to make another illustration for his apostles. But here, I think part of the focus, at least, is on the fact that Jesus does love children, that Jesus does care about children, that Jesus does 
uh, hold children as very important and not to be overlooked and not to be pushed to the side but they are to be uh, to be brought in they are to be nurtured they are to be cared for they are to be taught they are to be provided for and Jesus I believe shows his love for children in these verses and he uses the children here again to make another illustration and Mark chapter 10 verse 13 it says some people were bringing little children to him so he might touch them but his disciples rebuked them when Jesus saw it he was indignant and said to them let the children come to me don't stop them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these I assure you whoever does not welcome the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it after taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. Now, this is a beautiful few verses that we look at here. Now, first, let's talk about what was going on. There were people who were bringing children to Jesus. Now, the, the, the actual word there that's used probably more so relates to an infant than, than maybe a small child, but there could have been some of each. There could have been people who were bringing their babies, who were bringing their small children. It could have been the parents that were bringing them. It could have been a family member. It could have been a friend. We really don't know. We just know that there were people who were bringing children, probably small children, to Jesus. They wanted Jesus to touch the children, to lay his hands on the children. Now this is not really uncommon to what we see to the rest of Jesus' ministry. People wanted Jesus to touch them. They wanted to just touch his clothes. Whatever they could do to be in the presence of Jesus, they recognized that he had power. And these people who were bringing these children to Jesus obviously recognized that Jesus had some power and they felt like their children would be blessed by being in the presence of Jesus, by being touched by Jesus. Now this is a beautiful thing that these parents or these family members or friends or whoever it was that was bringing these kids to Jesus, it's beautiful that they were doing so. But what seems kind of odd, maybe to you or at least to me, is the response of the disciples. Now this may give us an idea of how children were viewed at the time, maybe. These people brought the children to Jesus, and the disciples rebuked these people, said, look, get these kids out of here. Jesus ain't got time to fool with these kids. Now, maybe it's just because they didn't hold kids uh, to a high value. Maybe that's why they were getting them away. Uh, maybe they felt like Jesus was tired. Maybe they were thinking, look, he's, he's already done enough, all this healing and preaching he does. He don't have time for this. Maybe in their mind, they thought they were looking out for Jesus' best, best interest. Uh, maybe their attitude toward children uh, was representative of the culture's attitude about children. Now, many uh, would suggest, I'm no expert in, 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 in ancient cultures, but many have suggested uh, that in those days that children were not uh, look, looked upon with much value. They weren't considered uh, very important. They kind of uh, got in the way, and you had a kid, and you got to raise them up to be an adult, but as long as they're kids, you just kind of shoo them to the side and don't worry about them, and many have suggested that that was the culture of the day, and possibly that was so. We see even in Scripture uh, that, that, that children were not always held to a high value uh, among people other than God's people, at least, because we see that in the Old Testament, many of the other nations around Israel would sacrifice their children to the false gods. They would uh, pass them through the fire. They would offer a, a burnt sacrifice of their children to these false gods that they worship. Now, God told his people they were to never do such things. 
And while the other people, uh, the other nations around that were around Israel did such things, and, and obviously they thought their God was pleased by these child sacrifices, God said, no, this is, a, this is wrong, this is not right. Uh, we see that there is a difference between God's people and ungodly people. God does place some value. He does place some importance on children. He does value human life. And we see that not only, I think, in the Old Testament, but we see that spelled out for us pretty clearly in this text that we're looking at today. The disciples said, look, get these kids out of here. They rebuked the people for bringing these kids. Now, that's, that's pretty intense. Now, Jesus, of course, knew what was going on, and it says in the text here that he was indignant when he saw what was going on, or he was, he was deeply grieved at what was taking place, that his apostles were turning away these, these children that were being brought to him. And Jesus said, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them. Now that's good stuff right there. That's beautiful. And then Jesus makes a wonderful illustration. He says, For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Or he says something a little different in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 19, he said, uh, the kingdom of God belongs to people like this. That is, people who are like children. Now, what did Jesus mean there when he said that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these or belongs to, to people like this, belong to those who are like children? Uh, well, it's really kind of hard to know because he doesn't elaborate here. When he says that to enter the kingdom of God that we are to be like children, he doesn't list the, the things that he has in mind. Now, we can say for sure that he probably meant humility because he had said that uh, shortly before this event that we see in Matthew chapter 18, verses 3 and 4. So we know that's at least one quality that he probably had in mind when he spoke of these children. But I would venture to say, and I could be wrong, but I believe Jesus probably had other things in mind when he was telling us that we should be like a child and to be able to enter the kingdom of God we are to be like children. Now, what did he mean there? Did he mean that we all have to uh, somehow figure out how to turn into children again? Well, that's not what he meant because that's not possible. There's no way that we can phys physically become a child. I don't think he meant, well, if you want to get into the kingdom of heaven, you better be like a child. So uh, you better start drinking from a Bible and start playing with toys again and saying goo goo gaga. Well, that's clearly not what Jesus meant. When he says that we are to be like a child, I don't think that he meant in those type of terms. But there's something about children that, that, that is different that Jesus wants us to see. Perhaps it's that humility that he spoke of. Perhaps there are other things that he wanted us to, to think about. Perhaps we think about the innocence of a child. Now, I know that there are many uh, scholars and theologians, and I've read lots of things this week, and, and almost everybody says, well, that's not what Jesus meant, because a child is not innocent. They are born with a sin nature. Well, uh, maybe or maybe not. And even though they may not be innocent entirely, there is something to be said about the innocence of a child. There is something, I think, to be said about a child who has not been exposed to all of the evils of the world. They don't know the things that maybe those of us who are adults know. They haven't seen those things. They haven't experienced those things. And at least on some level, maybe not on an absolute level, but at least on some level, I believe there is some innocence to a child, some preciousness that comes from not being exposed to those things that we've been exposed to. And you know the things I'm talking about. You probably have things that in your life that you say, boy, I wish I'd never, I wish I never knew about that. I wish I'd never seen that. 
I wish I had never heard that. I wish I had never knew that that existed. There are things like that in my life that I think, boy, I wish I'd, I wish I'd never knew about that evil thing. And that's a, a precious thing that children have not seen those things. It's a horrible thing, though, that in some instances there are small children who have been exposed to things that they should not have been exposed to. We have an obligation, brothers and sisters in Christ, for those children in our life to protect them, to, to take care of them, to bring them up and to try to keep them safe from the things of the world so much as we can, to try to, to, try to build them on a foundation of God's Word, that they're trusting in the good of God's Word and not being led astray by the evil of the world. So this is a big responsibility that parents have, that grandparents have, that friends and family members have, that church family had. It's, it's a big responsibility that we have to take care of our children, to try to help them know what is right, to know what is good, and to protect them from what evil we can. But inevitably, evil will find its way into our lives. But if a foundation is built strongly for a child, if a child has been brought up in God's Word around other brothers and sisters in Christ, if they know what is right and they know what is wrong, the chances are when they encounter the evils of the world, they will be able to overcome them by the power of the Lord. And so having that foundation for a child is significant. Maybe Jesus was in some way speaking of an innocence of a child there. Perhaps he was speaking of a child's uh, helplessness, if we can call it that. When a child comes into this world, when a child is born, if there is no one to take care of that child, that child will not survive. That child is helpless. That child has to be fed. That child has to receive medicines if needed. That child has to be clothed and kept warm. That child has to be cleaned and bathed and diapers changed. And that child can't do that. A child fresh, fresh out of the womb can do none of those things. They are completely helpless. They need someone who will provide for them, who will take care of them, who will watch over them. They have to depend on other people. They have to trust other people that are over them, their parents, their grandparents, their friends, their family. They have to trust those people or else they will not survive. Perhaps that's what Jesus was speaking of here. That we are to be like children. That we are completely helpless in our sin. That we are completely hopeless in our sin that we are dirty, that we are nasty, that we are starving, that we are dying of thirst, and we can be provided for by Jesus. He will provide our needs, both physically and spiritually. He will feed us with spiritual food. He will give us a water that will quench our thirst for all of eternity. And we are helpless apart from Him. If God doesn't provide for us, we are helpless. You need to get that today. If you, if you don't know that, you need to know that you are helpless apart from God. When, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they sinned, God was not happy with their sin. And they had to leave the garden, but God provided for them. There was an animal that was killed so that they could be clothed by the skin of the animal. God still provided for them. Why? Because they were helpless. They were helpless because of their sin. There were consequences for their sin, but God said, even though you are helpless, I'm going to help you. 
Now, the same is true for us. We are no different than Adam and Eve because there is sin that works its way into our life. And when we are in our sin, we are helpless. And perhaps that's what Jesus meant here. That those who enter the kingdom of God need to be like children. We need to recognize we are helpless. We need to recognize we have to trust someone else. I'm not going to worry about being provided for. I don't even think about that. Because I know there is one who is providing for me. It is Jesus Christ who has provided for me. And if we trust in him, then we really shouldn't have anything to worry about. Not that we don't worry. Well, I struggle with that. Maybe you do too. But really, we need to pray that God would help us to trust him in the way that we need to and say, okay, God, I'm helpless. There's nothing I can do. I need you to provide for me. Lord Jesus, I need you to provide for me. I need the provision you've already given me through your death on the cross. Jesus, I trust you. I come to you and I believe what you say in the same way that a child does. Boy, children, when they come into this world as they grow, those people who have taken care of them, boy, they've trusted them. They trust them. They trust what you tell them. That's why it's important we've got to make sure what we tell our kids. Because what you tell them, they are going to trust. Because you are the one who has taken care of them. You are the one who has provided for them. You are the one who has helped them when they are helpless. And so what you say is probably going to have a great impact on their life. And Jesus said, look, those who enter the kingdom of God, those who enter the kingdom of heaven, need to be like Little children. I remember when I was a kid, and you probably remember when you were a kid too, you probably didn't have much you worried about. When you're a young kid, you get up, there's food on the table, there's clothes that you are going to wear, and you probably don't even think twice about where those things are going to come from. You just know that it's going to be there. You're not worried about food because you know your mom or your dad is going to provide. You don't even think about it. Same is true. We'd go out to eat at a restaurant. I remember as a kid, and even as an adult, if I'm honest, sometimes. You go to a restaurant, I never once thought about, boy, can I order this food? Who's going to pay for it? I never once thought about that. We go to a restaurant, I look at the menu, I say, I'll have that. I never considered how much it cost. I never considered what it was. And at the end of the meal, I got up and walked outside and never thought twice about paying for it. Why? Because I knew my dad was going to pay for it. Because I knew he was going to provide. Because I trusted him. I had no reason not to. He was going to provide for my needs. And even still, sometimes as an adult, we go to eat. And the same thing happens. And that's the kind of trust that we need to have in God. To know that God, our Heavenly Father, is going to take care of us. That we don't have to worry about things, but we just simply have to trust Him. To know that He's going to say, I got this. Well, how can we know He's got it? You can read this Bible. Because all throughout His Word, He tells us, oh, I've got this. You can trust me. You can depend on me. Even though you are helpless, I'm going to help you. Time and time again, God's Word tells us that. 
And maybe that's what Jesus meant when he said that we are to be like children. Maybe he meant that we're supposed to have a certain excitement about him. You know, children often get a lot more excitable than adults do. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because we're tired. Maybe it's because we realize that there are things that aren't as important as we used to think they were. But boy, a child, a child can get excited. A child will be excitable. A child, boy, they have fun. They laugh. They enjoy life. A child will be all into something that they are, that they like, something that they are into. They get excited about it. And I would venture to say that people who become Christians as they are children are probably at a, at a better advantage because they grow up with a certain excitement, a certain eagerness to dig in, to learn God's Word, to trust God's Word. And it's when we are young that we are most impressionable. The things that we hear, the things that we read are easier for us to remember when we are younger. When you're young, you can memorize Scripture. When you're young, you remember everything. You remember everything. I don't know when that changes, but it changed sometime a few years ago for me. I used to never have to write a single thing down. I remembered everything about everything. And now I don't remember everything about everything. Stuff that I should know about. I used to tell you about all kind of technology, and I could tell you all the specs and stats for all kind of phones and computers and all kind of stuff. And stuff that I can't remember now. Part of it's really not that important anymore. I don't follow it as much. You don't have as much time. Part of it's getting older, though. As a child, you can retain stuff. That's why it's important, children, that you be in God's Word, that you remember God's Word, that you read God's Word. There's a certain excitement that we have as children that maybe we lose a little bit of when we become adults. I set this Bible up here today because... On May the 28th, 1995, I don't remember that date, by the way. It was wrote in here. That's the only reason why I know when I got it. But on May the 28th, 1995, when I became a Christian and was baptized, Brother Ernie and Miss Betty gave me this Bible. And you talk about a kid that was excited to get this Bible. Every day I would read this Bible, and I would put it back in the box. Every day. I would put this thing back in the box and I would keep it, and I would get it, and I would be so, so easy turning those pages. And man, I cherish this thing. And I believe that part of it was, part of that excitement may have been because I was a child. And I used to read this Bible all the time. You can tell that it's pretty worn. It used to actually have an edge that went all the way around. It's done worn off. The edge has. I don't read this one as much anymore. I'm going to tell you what, this was a, a fine Bible. This Bible had an impact on my life. I don't know why, Brother Ernie, you and Miss Betty picked out this Bible. This is probably about as good a study Bible as you could ever want, and they gave it to a 13-year-old boy. Man, there's so many notes and so much stuff in here and cross-references. Man, this thing is, 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 is crazy, the stuff that's in there, the helpfulness that it is to study God's Word. And they gave it to a 13-year-old boy because I think they did what Jesus said here. They said, look, here's, here's somebody that needs to know God's Word. And I used to read this thing all the time. And maybe that's the excitement that Jesus wants us to have. Maybe you don't have that kind of excitement anymore. Maybe you used to have that excitement for the Lord. Maybe your excitement has kind of has dwindled over the years. You get busy. You don't have time. You got real stresses. 
It's easy to do stuff when you're a kid, right? You don't have any stresses. You don't have anything to do. And part of the stresses of this world, the devil uses to keep us from getting in God's Word, from staying in God's Word, for trusting in God's Word. Maybe when Jesus said that we need to be more like children, maybe he means we need to be excited about it. We need to be eager to read his Word. We need to cherish it. Now, I told you, I put this thing back in the box. I cherished the book, yeah, but I cherish the words in the book better because that's where the power is. There's no power in this leather cover. There's no power on pieces of paper or ink. There's power in the Word of God because it's a living Word. And Jesus said, hey, look, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you've got to be childlike. Not childish, there's a difference there. There's a difference between being childlike and childish. Jesus isn't saying we need to be childish. Being childish, for example, would be somebody uh, takes something that you want or you're going uh, through the line at the, at, at, at the big dinner we're going to have one day and somebody gets the last scoop of macaroni and you say, oh, I wanted that scoop of macaroni. You should give it to me. You got, you got too much. Well, that's childish. When we speak of childishness, we speak of immaturity. Jesus isn't telling us that we should be childish, that we should be immature. He's telling us that we should be childlike. Now, as we get older, our childlikeness, the things that maybe we, we did as a child, the excitement we had, the trust we had, the innocence that we had, those things kind of begin to change as we get older. But when I think of being childlike, I think of maybe as adults we need to have a little more fun. Maybe we do need to play a little more with kids. Maybe we do need to kind of let our hair down and be a little more childlike and have a little more fun. Just a few weeks ago, I did something I haven't done in years. I jumped on a trampoline. I went over with the Freeman girls, and man, I had a good time. I was 37 years old. And you, some, some people would say, well, you're a grown man. You don't need to be jumping on a trampoline. Well, I would disagree with that because I had a lot of fun. And maybe that's what Jesus meant. Maybe we do need to laugh a little more. We need to smile a little more. We need to stress a little less. Maybe there does need to be a little more enjoyment of life. Maybe that's what he means when he says we need to be a little more childlike. And I think we need to be reminded of this because I think as we get older, we may not have the fun we used to. We may not be as cool as we used to be. There comes a time when we're, when we're children, boy, we just, we're excited, we're, we're having fun, we're having a good time, everything is cool, we don't worry about stuff. But there comes a time when this change happens. You know the change I'm talking about. When you go from being childlike to being cool. There's a change that happens, and, and all of a sudden, all the things that, that, that you used to do when you were a child, you realize, oh, wait, I, I can't do those things anymore. I, that's, that's, child, that's childlike. I don't want to be that way. I'm, I'm growing up. I'm a teenager now. And there's this change that occurs, and you go from being childlike to being cool. And then when you become cool, then you become too cool. You become too cool for anything. You don't believe me? I'll tell you. you. You want to know what cool looks like? I see it. A lot of mornings at about 7.30, you go up to the Harrison building. There's all these teenage boys out there in their hot trucks, and they are standing out there before they go to school, and they are cool. 
I mean, cool is dripping off of them. You could go and scoop up cool if you wanted it. That's what cool is. And there's this change that occurs in life where we go from being childlike to where we're too cool for anything. I'm too cool for God's Word. I'm too cool for church. I can't have fun anymore. I can't smile. I can't laugh. can't go to VBS. That's for kids. I'm a teenager. Practically adult. We become too cool that we lose some of that childlikeness that we have. We don't have fun anymore because we're too cool to have fun. Now, we don't see that transition when we're young. You went through it. You didn't know you did, but you did. You went through that trans- transition where you, got, where you got cool all of a sudden. It's funny, though. When you get old, you realize that you never really were cool, and you see all these other people that think they're cool. But what Jesus calls us to, I believe what he calls us to here, is to be more childlike. Maybe we need to realize how helpless we are. Maybe we need to have a little more fun. We need to trust him. We need to be excited by his word. We need to say, look, God, I'm not not too busy for you anymore. I'm not too cool for you anymore. But God, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to trust you just like you said in these words. In verse 15, he says, I assure you, whoever does not welcome the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. Isn't that a beautiful thing that Jesus would bless these children when his own apostles said, look, get out of here. Get these kids out of here. Jesus said, no, let them come to me. Jesus said, let the children come to me. You know, Jesus still says the same thing today. I think Jesus loves children today. For sure I think he does, and I think we should love children today. But Jesus loves his children spiritually too. Whether you're five years old or 95 years old, I think Jesus still says, come on, child. Bring the children to me. And we see that same language used throughout Scripture. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. That oftentimes Christians are referred to as little ones. And we'll see later in in, in a week or two where even Jesus refers to his apostles as little ones or little children. And in the same way that Jesus wanted these children to come to him in this verse, he still wants you and I to come to him today. You know... When we need to come to the Lord the most, sometimes that's when it's the hardest. It's a crazy thing, right? Maybe, maybe it's just me. If, if it is, then y'all can just think I'm crazy. But even knowing God's Word and believing it and trusting that it's true and knowing the power of God, you know, sometimes it seems like when we need to draw the closest to God, it's the hardest for us to do it. Now, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's the devil. The day's that we need to read God's Word the most are probably the hardest days for us to read God's Word. The days that you probably need God's Word in your life are the days that you probably say, I just do not feel like reading God's Word today. The days that you need to pray the most are probably the days that you say, I just don't feel like praying today. I just don't feel it. You know, I just don't feel spiritual. And I think that that may be the devil working on us there. 
Because he knows we need God's word. He knows we need to be helped. He knows that we need to be like children going to the Father. And so, boy, he, he, he gets us where we don't want to do it. So I would encourage you, the days that you feel like least reading God's Word and the days that you least feel like praying to God, read God's Word and pray to God. Because it may very well be that that's how the devil has got you down. That may be the, a stronghold that he's got on you. Is, is he's keeping, keeping you from, from having contact with God, from being in a relationship with God. He's allowing your fears and your worries and your failures to keep you from being in the presence of God. But when we read God's word, when we pray to God, guess what, boy? We begin hearing to God, and God begins hearing from us. And man, instantly, instantly, boy, our life changes. I can't tell you how many times that I did not feel like reading God's word. And I read God's word, and it changed everything. Now, maybe some of you have experienced that. Maybe not. I don't know. But sometimes... When we least feel like going to God is the time that we need to say, okay, God, I'm coming to you. And you know what God wants us to do? He wants us to come to him. And you know what he does when we come to him? Well, he rejoices. Just like an earthly father or mother does when their child comes home. Go read Luke chapter 15. There's a good story in there. We often refer to it as the prodigal son. A father had two sons. One of them decided he was going out and do things his way. I'm paraphrasing. Go back and read it all. Son went out, lived life to the fullest, lived wild and crazy, didn't have a bit of money, decided I got nothing else to do. I got to go back and see my daddy. That's the only way I can survive because I'm helpless. I got to go back home. So he works on this big speech, what he's going to tell his dad on the way. All right, when I get home, I'm going to tell my dad, oh, dad, I'm so sorry. You know, I shouldn't have done this. If you would just let me come and just be one of your hired hands, just a slave, just so I can have some food to eat, you know, that would be enough. He, he's worked on this speech, you know. And boy, he starts coming. And in a distance, the father sees him. And he runs out there to him, and he just wraps his arms around him. And he says, my son has come home. Boy, the father was so glad that his son had come home. The son didn't even get to say a speech because as soon as he turned and started coming toward the father, the father said, bam, you're mine. You're home. And I believe it's the same way for us that we need to be like that child in the story of the prodigal son. Maybe you're in a time right now in your life where you have turned away from God and you're not listening to God and you're not being obedient to God and you've been living your way and you realize, oh dear, I'm spiritually broke, maybe even physically broke. I'm helpless. I have nowhere else to turn. What am I going to do? And you may not have even thought about this, but I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to turn to the Lord. You may not have even thought about that. You need to repent. You need to turn to the Lord. You need to call out to God. And there's no big fancy words you have to say because in an instant, when our heart changes and turns from our evil sinfulness and turns to the Lord, I believe the Lord is there to embrace us and bless us in the same way that Jesus did these children. 
When we are a child that comes to God and says, God, I want to be your child. I need to be your child. Or God, I am your child, but I've gone astray. And God, I'm coming back. I believe the instant that our heart changes, God embraces us. And God blesses us, just like Jesus embraced and blessed these children. Just like the Father embraced and blessed and was glad that his prodigal son was home. I believe God does the same thing to us. So we just need to cry out to the Lord. We see that time and time again in Scripture. Read the Psalms. Psalm 34. Psalm 61. David cries out to the Lord. Why? Because he's on hard times. Things are difficult. Who else can he cry out to? He is helpless. He is no different than a child who has just been brought into this world and there is no way that he can survive except for calling out to the Lord. And the same is true for you and I. We are helpless apart from God. What did David do? He cried out to God in his time of need. Jesus did the same thing. He was hanging on the cross. Who did he cry out to? There was only one he could cry out to. He cried out to God in a loud voice we see in Scripture. There is no one that we can call out to, cry out to other than God. There is no one we can trust in other than God. There is no one who will provide for us, who will take care of us, who will give us joy other than God through Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. And maybe that's what Jesus meant when he said that we need to be a little more childlike. And those who are like children are the ones who enter the kingdom of God. Those of us who recognize, God, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, and I'm in need of a Savior. There are a couple of verses in Scripture that really, I think, sum up all we need to know about following the Lord and, and, and what the Bible calls us to. One is Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23, if you want to turn there, you can. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now that's a pretty short and simple verse. And there's a lot more that could be said on the subject of sin. But it tells us pretty simply a truth that we need to hear. For all have sinned. Period. For all have sinned. You have sinned. I have sinned. Every one of us have sinned in the same way that we follow the pattern of Adam and Eve. We have sinned. But there is a solution to our sin problem. There is a solution, and that solution is forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ who gave his life on the cross so that we could be forgiven. And so how do we overcome our sin problem? How are we forgiven of our sin problem? Well, 1 John chapter 1 gives us the answer to that. 1 John chapter 1, 
verses 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, Romans 3.23 has already told us that we have all sinned. But if you refuse to believe that truth, we see in John, he says, look, if you refuse to believe that, if you say you have no sin, well, you're deceiving yourself. The truth is not in you because the truth is we are all sinners. It'd be a bummer if we only had those two verses. That'd be sad. We wouldn't even be here today. If those were the only two verses we had to go by, we could just sit at home and mope and realize, man, I am helpless and hopeless. I am a sinner and I am doomed. There is no hope for me. But those are only a couple of verses in the whole Bible. A whole Bible that is filled with help, that is filled with hope. So what do you do if you realize, you know what, I'm a sinner? Well, you just read the next verse. In verse 9 it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's good stuff, right? If we confess our sins, if we say, God, I am a sinner and I need to be forgiven, I need a Savior because I am helpless. God, I confess that I am a sinner and I need to be forgiven. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive our unrighteousness. God is a God of mercy and grace, praise the Lord. But he doesn't just throw that grace around. You got some grace, you got some grace, you got some grace. I mean, on some level he does, but not, not the grace as we are discussing it this morning. God is a gracious God. But we receive God's grace by repenting, by confessing our sins and say, God, I need your grace because my life is full of sin. So God, I come to you and I confess that I'm a sinner. I'll repent of my sins. And guess what? God is, is ready to give you that grace this morning. Maybe there's some this morning and you realize that you hadn't been doing what you should have been doing. Maybe you've gotten off track and you've sinned and you've let the devil keep you from Scripture and keep you from prayer. Well, I want to tell you that God's mercy and God's grace is still there for you. All you got to do is confess your sin and repent and come to Him. And He'll welcome you with open arms. And maybe there are some of you this morning and you've never followed Jesus. You've never put your faith in Jesus. Now, becoming a Christian is not a result of walking an aisle. It's not a result of repeating some words you see in a book or hear a preacher say. That's not becoming a Christian. You can do those things, but that's not what becoming a Christian is. Becoming a Christian is not just saying, well, I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to walk this aisle. I'm going to say this prayer. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to be dunked in some water, and I'm going to be a Christian. That is not Christianity. Now, oftentimes, we may be confused by that because... Maybe that's what we've made Christianity to be. But Christianity is not that. Christianity is knowing you're a sinner and repenting of that sin 
knowing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who gave his life on a cross so that you could be forgiven, that he suffered greatly, that he took the suffering you deserve so that you could get the grace that only really he deserved. Christianity is saying, I'm a sinner, but Jesus is a perfect sacrifice and he's my Savior, and I'm turning from my sin and I'm following Jesus. I want to live by what Jesus said. I want to be like Jesus was. I want to live like he lived. I want to strive to, to be like him in every area I can. I want to follow him and not the world. That's Christianity. And that comes when your heart changes. When you say, God, my heart is no longer going to be given to the world, but I'm giving my heart to Jesus. I'm giving Jesus control of my life. That's Christianity. You can do that at your house. You can do that at your church. You can do that anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world, at any point in time, your heart has changed and you say, I'm following Jesus, you are a Christian. Now, we should follow through in baptism because Jesus says, follow through in baptism. He tells his apostles, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are to follow through with baptism if we're a Christian. But none of those other things make us a Christian. Walking an aisle, repeating certain words, getting baptized just for the fun of it, those things don't make us Christians. Following Jesus Christ is what makes us a Christian. And I don't know who or what you may be following today. I hope you're following Jesus. But if you're not, I hope today that you'd put your trust in Him with a childlike trust in the same way that Jesus speaks of in these verses we look at. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning and we thank you for these good words. We thank you for the truth of your word. And God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and for loving us. We thank you for welcoming us to you, dear Lord, with open arms, even though we are helpless sinners. God, we thank you that even for those who are yours, God, when we sin, know that you're there to forgive us, but you call us to repent, dear Lord. We gotta, we gotta change our life and we gotta follow you. And so, God, I pray that if there's one in this room that's struggling today, that they just would repent, that they would turn back to you if they're yours, dear Lord. That they would find strength in your word and that they would trust you, God. And help us through the struggles that we may have in this life, God. There are lots of struggles we have and sins that we are tempted by and worries and stresses and things that we experience, God. Help us to overcome those things, God. It's, it's not always easy, but I pray that by your strength we can overcome the things that, that maybe are keeping us from having the relationship with you that you desire and that really deep down, God, we desire. God, I pray that if there's one in this room that has never followed Jesus Christ, if there's one listening online today, God, that has never followed Jesus, God, I pray that they would trust Jesus. God, maybe there are some who have walked an aisle and said a prayer and even been baptized, but God, they have never trusted Jesus. God, I pray that today, that if there's one that's convicted, that knows that they are helpless, that they would come to Jesus, that they would trust Jesus today and follow him. And God, if one does that, I pray that they would just come forward here or, or God, just even reach out to, 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 to another brother and sister in Christ and tell them, look, I have trusted Jesus today. God, for any that does that, let's, let's follow through in baptism with them, dear Lord. Let there be an excitement in their life and let there be an excitement in our life, dear Lord.
even for those of us who may be well on in years and those of us who may have been walking with you for years, dear Lord, let us have a renewed excitement for you. A renewed excitement for Jesus. A renewed excitement for your grace. A renewed excitement for your word. And God, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. To learn more about Jesus, call or text Pastor Shan at 601-657-0180 or email him at shanvn at me.com. You can also visit us at www.enterprisebaptist.church or follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Liberty. We hope that you have been blessed by today's service.